Hi, where are you? Hello? Emma, is that you? I, I could be. I can't hear you over all this anthropogenic noise. Oh, no, there's so much, so much noise. Why is there so much noise, Emma? <laughs> is this the worst intro we've done to a podcast so far? It could possibly be. Hello, <laughs> listeners. Welcome to For What It's Earth podcast. A fortnightly environment, climate change, uh, nature and sustainability podcast. I'm Emma. I'm Lloyd. Who you can hear beautifully now, all of the noise has gone. So um, much more relaxing. It, it is. And it, that is exactly the point, because we're talking about anthropogenic <laughs> noise, so noise pollution today. And one of, one of the things it does is um, it really does stress out people and, well, the planet and all wildlife. So we'll Yeah, we, we, we thought we'd be really clever with that intro. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm worried that all we've done is made it sound like really um, unprofessional, like we don't actually know how, how to record on, on microphones. Yeah, maybe I've shot myself in the foot as an editor and just made myself <laughs> look truly terrible. Who knows? Or did, did it underscore the point for you listeners? Let us know. Did we did we take you on a nice sensory journey? You know, mm. did you appreciate the added layers to the soundscape that we presented you with? Did it, did it engage you? I, I I like to think it did. I like to think we threw a little bit of confusion into the mix, and perhaps we perhaps we hooked them in with it. Yes, I hope we have. So we are talking about anthropogenic noise, that is man-made noise that we introduce to the environment. But I'm sure Emma's going to come at me with a better definition in a bit. So before that, shall we uh, surround ourselves with the nice, warm, recurring feature of <laughs> what one good thing have we, we done this week? We, we don the feature blanket, yes. What one good thing have we done this week? Um, shall I go first or would you like to step up to the plate? Um, I'll go first, but it's a bit of, well, it's a cop out on my part, but it's a very good thing because I'm going to celebrate my uh, partner, Bryony, who I think I've, I've, I talk about a lot on this podcast. I think Bryony does she, better things than you do. I'm sorry. Yeah, she but. does. And yeah, I know. <laughs> and it's, it's kind of shameful, isn't it? But she works for an environment charity called the Environment Centre in Swansea. And she's been doing a really, really wonderful thing. She's started a 30 day litter pick challenge to raise money for the Environment Centre. And the idea is she is going to pick litter on the sweets of Swansea? Streets of Swansea <laughs> for 30 days to cover as many kilometres as possible. Yeah. And I think the idea is to try and cover 30 miles. And, wow. Or as many, as many miles as possible. And she's already picked up, I don't know, probably like 30 kilograms of rubbish in about... Gosh. six days it's madness but she's doing a really fantastic job and, and all the proceeds are going to the environment center to then put into the local community projects and especially buy a load of those bin rings so we, we whenever we've been out little we always get a lot oh. of people ask where you get the rings like rather than just hold the bag open and let it blow around you can get rings <gasps> which like bungee cord to no like secure the bag open with and you get a little handle as well and it makes wow. everything so much easier so the idea is they're going to buy a load of those so in the community you can just like borrow them and take them and use them and 
go forth and multiply the litter picking. That's amazing. Oh, yeah, well, really cool. Well done, Bryony. And I've never heard of um, those bin rings before. That's epic. Mm. Cool. What does Very what cool. do you do with the litter when picked? Does it get sorted and recycled? Uh, we take a social media picture. Yeah, we take a social media picture so it looks really good, and then we just scatter it back on the streets because then we don't care anymore. Um, no, so it goes. We leave oh, it. Oh no, wait, because then you can do it again the next day. And then we can do it again the next all. day, and then it just like no one's <laughs> any the wiser, right? No, what we do is totally. put it. I say we like I don't do much. I've gone on a couple of litter picks, but it's very much Bryony. What she does is leaves it by uh, public bins, um, double bagged, so birds can't get get through it. Uh, either in the bins or, or next to the bins, and they get taken away. Very by nice. the council because then you can let the council oh, well know that there done. are extra bins there and they'll, they'll send someone over yeah that's pretty epic. fantastic job i what about yourself what have what have you mine not not quite as great i think but um you know we've talked about like food waste quite often on this podcast mm-hmm. i found a new app it's called olio and it mm-hmm. will connect you with your local community if you've got food that's going to waste you can kind of put it on the app and somebody can ask if they can take it. So you can't sell anything, but you can like repurpose things. Um, and I mm. had like loads of onions from um, like vegetable boxes. I don't really eat onions. I was like, I'm not going to put them in the bin and there's no point. I mean, I would compost them, but they're perfectly good onions. I just can't eat onion. So <laughs> I got rid of um, like 15 onions on this app. So somebody got their month's supply of onions rescued it from the bin that's that's fantastic i just imagine someone coming around and just like knocking your doorstep standing about two meters and just being like have you uh got the onions got the onions onions, mate got got, got the onions and just (laughs) surreptitiously or like just like pop pop, pop a little bag of onions on your doorstep oh i I left them in a box on my doorstep so that i didn't have to come into contact with the lady we we arranged a time it was all very covid friendly (laughs) but but yeah it's got you know another revolutionary app i thought was fantastic yeah. I really want to know what they did with 50 onions. I don't know, but, you know, perhaps... Soup. I mean, onions keep for a very long time, so there's no, I, there's I, no I pressure like to make, yeah, a whole onion soup or something. Sorry, that's the least least interesting thing I've ever said on this podcast. There we go, listeners, lockdown. We've got nothing else to talk about. We I, are. I like onions. Well, we they're, go down some strange good, right? rabbit holes sometimes, but this might be one of our weirdest. M- mundane weirdest, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Should we make it more interesting? Yes, let's make it more interesting. Let's, <laughs> let's bring it back to the topic at hand. Um, anthropogenic noise, which is essentially what we're doing, isn't it? Just Right just now, polluting, talking, making all this noise, yeah. Polluting the environment immediate to us with absolute nonsense. So, according to the World Health Organization, uh, anthropogenic noise is the most hazardous form of pollution and because it's become omnipresent in aquatic and terrestrial ecosystems. So, you know, we're not just fussed about anthropogenic noise near roads and in cities and on land. It extends very dramatically into the marine environment as well. So it's a big problem. And it's not something yeah. we've really touched on before, is it? Yeah, we actually um, were thinking about doing a podcast on it quite a while ago. Mm, we've looped back. Yeah, because it's been something that we've both been interested in for a while. Mm. Because our lecturer all the way back in, in university days was a researcher on this. So we really wanted to, and that was really inspiring and it was a really interesting topic. World's loveliest lecturer. Mm. Yeah. So what sort of prompted us to sort of revisit this, but with more vigor and more journalistic integrity 
is <laughs> that there's recently been a really cool review paper published in Science. So, so, so a review paper is sort of like it, it brings together all the existing research into a really, well, much more easily read paper. So you can get, get the gist of, of all the science, mm. scientific research the out there. Ones. Yeah, so we thought it was, it was a nice time to sort of revisit it because it, it, it does all the work for us, doesn't it, really, that paper? Oh, pretty much, <laughs> pretty much. It's 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 a it's a cracking read if you're interested in the science behind uh, noise pollution. But if you're not, no problem, because that's why we're here to make it slightly more engaging. Yes. Yeah, so noise pollution. The first thing that comes to mind is probably going to be like things like traffic, mm. uh, especially if you live by a road. Things like airplane noises, yeah. um, railways, driving in the ocean, construction. Yeah, even wind turbines. Yeah, on land, on sea. Boat noise, traffic, all sorts. Uh, pretty much any, any noise. Yeah, pretty much any noise a human makes can be considered anthropogenic noise. And quite often, this noise can really disrupt nature. Because before we started getting all loud with all our machinery, nature, of course, very much relies on sound and always has done. Mm. So whether that's uh, bird song or predators listening very intently for prey so they can catch it or the in turn the prey like trying to escape the predators um yeah re- really really important and whether that's above or below the waves yeah mm-hmm. i mean it's, it's long been known that like noise pollution can have an impact on humans isn't it yeah um but it's 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 more recent that we have kind of realized that it's actually got a really big impact on like you said on 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 wildlife as well so for example did you know that 63 percent of u.s protected public lands have a background noise level that is double that of normal environmental background noise levels. I did not know that. Yeah, so like in, even in national parks and the size of the US national parks, I mean, they're pretty massive. You've visited a few, haven't you? I have. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah, very jealous. <laughs> looks amazing. <laughs> but um, so you'd think that by going out into one of those amazing wild spaces, you would be getting just like just nature noise, but you're not. Because human human noise pollution extends so far and so pervasively. And you know what? This is probably a lot more relatable topic now since COVID with traffic, mm. etc., and uh, air travel lessening so, so much. And you can just go to the park and listen to birds. I mean, maybe not so much now in this lockdown, but especially when it when we first, um, in the first one, stopped yeah. traveling so much. It was just amazing. The, the change in suddenly hearing birdsong and just... Be able to listen to nature that really really struck me actually i think i think a lot of people connected with that last time didn't they because because we were almost lucky quote unquote that lockdown um the first lockdown kind of coincided with the eruption of spring and like you said the amazing most intense dawn chorus of the year in spring that was when yeah like you said a lot of people suddenly stopped because we were forced to stop but then stopped and took stock and were like oh my god nature's noisy yeah. Like, and so, how noisy is our activity that we don't normally notice nature's noise? Exactly. Exactly. So a lot of listeners right now are probably thinking like, oh yeah, that's great. We can, if we stopped all this noise, we can just listen to nature. But go on, Emma, why is it a problem? Why okay. is anthropogenic noise an issue? Here we go. We've got my list. So <laughs> there's, there's a lot, there's a lot of reasons. Like, yes, it would oh, be yeah. nice to hear nature, but, um, in, in terms of this constant background noise, it stresses humans out, but it also very much increases the base stress levels of a lot of animals. Um, so not only are you 
will will this this sound will kind of mask things like as you said like vital communications if you're in courtship you're trying to find a mate or you're you're hunting or you're hiding um it can it's been shown that these increased stress levels can also prevent kind of reproductive success and how well populations will breed how well populations will find each other to even be able to breed and also how well things like prey will react when given a stimuli to a predator so often if you're if you're the prey in this scenario you're primed to react very very quickly to a stimulus of a predator coming nearby whether that's you know in this situation it's probably a noise that they can hear and they can react but because they're already kind of like a base level of stress they don't respond quite so sharply as they would um, and their kind of escape is hampered as it were so you get these real impacts on predator prey dynamics as well so in some instances, the prey won't be able to um, escape, as it were. Uh, but in other instances, the predator will find it really difficult to hunt. And and the moment you have one of these population groups either um, booning or really declining, everything everything just gets a little bit out of whack. And nature's like really refined balance can can really cause issues like further up and down the food chain. Yeah, and all of this, of course, has been shown scientifically so one of my favorite studies that i've seen was involving i think it was like european eels so european eels uh, are obviously commercially very important species but they cross a lot of boat traffic areas a lot of shipping lanes in their migration from for example the uk to um travel out out to the atlantic so this uh, this this study I, I saw. I mean, there are a lot, I have a lot of studies, but but this one sticks in my mind because the researchers uh, had boat noise tracks playing, and they timed how long it took to catch the eel in a net. So they were just chasing the eel uh, the, the eel around this. Was it uh, Neil? Tank. Who's he? The, the, they were chasing this bloke. Yeah, good Neil. <laughs> Poor guy. They they were chasing the the eels around with a hand net, and, and <laughs> then just timing how long it caught them, and and it took. Uh, lot less time um whilst playing boat noise but there have been loads of other studies where they've shown yeah for example that um a lot of animals can't navigate through a built maze to find food as well they are a lot slower to react to uh prey stimuli so whether that's you know an invented sort of plastic heron or something they've flung over there or um mm. an actual uh, other animal they've put in the tank or whatever and yeah, it's, it's it's really interesting research, but also quite um, eye-opening, I think. Yeah, well, so in particular, you picked up on eels there. Um, I know you're a marine scientist, so um, your natural instinct is to dive into the watery world of marine always. ecology. Always, always, always. <laughs> but, we, I mean, we've talked about, like, um, this anthropogenic noise, this increased background noise being effectively a bit of a wall to communication. Yes, that's true on land, but it is almost more important underwater, isn't it? Because visually, underwater, you can't see as far. It's just how it is. But sound will travel so much further underwater because all of the water molecules yeah. are much more closely connected and compacted than they are in air. So, so many more species, um, you know, whether it's, you know, whales or fish, anything, they all really, really rely on acoustics because they can hear things from so far away and they can communicate across these vast distances, which is amazing for them evolutionarily, but even worse when it comes to the noise that we're putting in the ocean because we could be doing it in one small area. We could be pile driving, but the sounds of that can be picked up by, um, for example, whales miles and miles away. Yeah, so sound is um, 
the sensory cue, which is much more important than, for example, light or, mm. or, or, or chemical communications uh, in, in the sea. You're effectively so, blinding things, aren't you? Exactly, which is why whales can communicate with each other from like the UK to Iceland distances, mm. for example, like mad, yeah, mad distances. And so my favourite research was actually by our uh, old lecturer, Steve Simpson, back in Exeter, and um, some other research as well. So soundscapes are sort of like the collective sounds you might hear in an area. And these are increasingly being used to get an idea of health of an ecosystem. Mm. So for example, a coral reef, if you've got lots of these like snapping shrimp, which would like... Yeah, um, a, a happy reef is a noisy yeah, reef, isn't it? A happy reef is a noisy reef. Super You'll hear noisy, lots of clicks, lots of fish yeah. grunting and grating their little teeth and all the sorts going on. Coral. Yeah. yeah, so they're really noisy, but... Some really cool research over the years has shown that different reefs will tend to sound different as well from each other. I, I um, love this. This is one of you're leading up to one of my ultimate favourite facts. Do, do, do you remember that research, which is all about how fish larvae yeah. will like go out because the fish will like go further out to like spawn their eggs and stuff. The eggs will hatch, and the larvae are pretty far out to sea, but they will tend to find their way back to the same reefs they were born on, which is mad. Absolutely amazing. Like my little tiny favourite nature fact is the fact that yeah, fish eggs will imprint on the reef that they were born on so they can come back to it and spawn their own eggs because, because of if sound. they survived their children will probably also yeah. sur- so cool like isn't that mind-blowing which they showed i think by sticking some um speakers underwater and they found that like certain fish like the the, the ones that were from that area originally would be the ones to mig- migrate back to that reef it's crazy it's so so cool Absolutely but as amazing. you can imagine if you then introduce all this anthrop- anthropogenic noise so that's like lots of boats going over or lots of construction going on nearby um, all of a sudden you mask that and they find it a hell of a lot harder to migrate back there so that's just one example but there, there there's, there's so much research about how um they could like species can't communicate whether again whether that's marine or or above mm. above the waves uh, there was one just, um, yeah. if we can shout out to steve again who's accidentally getting a lot yeah, of exposure in this steve. podcast <laughs> um he told me about some some work that they were doing and him and his team at the university of exeter who so you know if you have a damaged coral reef and the population density like it's not as healthy it's not going to be as noisy so it's not going to recruit as many juvenile fish back to it and the population will kind of continue to suffer so what they've done is used like old videos um of people when they were diving on holiday and they were on a really nice healthy coral reef they've used the audio from that stuck it into a speaker in a degraded coral reef played out the sounds of this beautifully healthy reef to help recruit new fish back into that little pocket. It's awesome, isn't it? How cool. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely incredible. Blows my mind. We've gone, I mean, we've gone really into fish there already. Should we go yeah, back we on have. land for a minute? Shall we, yeah, uh, shall we on, evolve? Yeah, I, I suppose we can, um, <laughs> we can cr- crawl out of our pools. Yeah, go on. So there are a number of ways that it impacts things, um, other species on land as well. So bats, for example... This one might be pretty obvious. Of course, yeah. But it will de- um, increase levels of anthropogenic noise will decrease a bat's ability to hunt because, of course, they blind. They blind. They, re- they, you know, they rely on echolocation to be able to find the insects and things that they're preying on. And yep. if there's a, a very cloudy soundscape around them, that can make it really difficult. And birds as well. What do you reckon happens to birds? I, oh, I'm sure I've looked at research on this before. It was, 
Yeah, they they can't find each other, can they? I'm guessing bird songs. Um, the yeah, so I mean, uh, that's that's the obvious one, isn't it? In the spring, when they're all shouting and you're listening to the lovely dawn chorus, but really, what you're listening to is lots of birds saying, "Over here, I'm horny." Um, but they will also <laughs> <laughs> just to ruin the dawn chorus for you all um, this spring. But um, a lot of them have adapted. So there's there's kind of two ways that you can adapt to a stress like this. So these two mechanisms are you've got phenoplasticity where individuals can change immediately to better suit their environment. So basically where they kind of learn and, and, and change. Or you've got the microevolutionary route, which will kind of come through sexual selection. Um, so genetically, you are all adapted. But birds are able to learn there and then. So So for example, so in a city birds will sometimes shift the time at which they call to to go ahead of or after the morning traffic because they well, know they won't get heard or they'll yeah. sing louder during those times. Well, yeah, that's really... So, sorry, it's just to drag us back beneath the depths. But it's quite similar to research that's been done on whales where whales will tend to shift the frequencies they call to each other at. Oh, really? especially in high boat traffic areas. Now, listen to that, you might think, oh, it's fine then, the animals can adapt, there's no problem. The problem is we don't really know what effect that has. And quite often, um, I don't know, there have been papers which shown that uh, it'll raise stress levels and the physiology changes, but then sometimes they'll that'll lessen over time. But again, we don't know for sure how long that takes, what the lasting impact is, whether they really adapt to it. And... You just instinctively think that connect like if if we're shifting the time birds call into each other, they might get around it, but that surely that can't be a long term thing. That's gonna have some That's like actually ecological impact. Dangerous way of thinking as well. The arrogance of us to say, Oh no, it's fine, nature mm. will suit us and, and we'll work around what we're doing instead of acknowledging that our actions are having a severe impact. i I really hate that um the slope that you could go down with that. Yeah. Did you know? Well, you probably do know this actually. Mr. Marine Science. So unlike other pollution, um, if we turned off all kind of noise making things in or around the ocean, so things like drilling and sonar and motorboat engines and shipping, the oceans would be, quote unquote, silent again within 24 hours. Mad, isn't it? Which is mad, which is crazy because it's such a unique type of pollution because we can't like, for example, if we just stopped making plastic, we would still have all the plastic that we've ever made causing an issue. Yeah. But with so, this, when you stop, it stops. So anthropogenic noise is um, what's called a point source pollutant, which means that you can turn it off at the source. You can actually pretty much remove it or at least really severely lessen it. Like those, the birds shifting their time, for example, electric cars, for instance, and mm. electric transport or just people walking, like that, that would make a difference. And so since COVID-19... It's, there's, there's a lot of evidence that marine mammals and uh, larger marine animals are moving back into what were previously more busy waterways and coastal areas. And there was a, a similar thing that happened uh, after 9-11, I think it was. So there was reduced ship traffic around uh, the, the Bay of Fundy in Canada. Uh, and, and again, that there was evidence that there was lower stress levels in in the right whales in that area, so so it can have a really really instant impact. It's it's amazing. It's just one of the things that we can actually change. Mm. So we, we mentioned right near the beginning, didn't we, Lloyd? That a, a yeah. very influential new paper has just come out, and um, I believe you're rather well connected in the marine world. Well, you know what can I say? I'm a, I'm a bit of a 
Big name. Um, yeah, well, we, we asked uh, Michelle Havlick, who is one of the authors of this paper, to give us a nice summary of what sort of, sort of the, the synthesis findings were and also what their ideas for moving forward solutions might be. So as she'll explain, it's a really interesting paper because it brings together so many different f- fields and researchers, but all sort of have a shared interest in anthropogenic noise and the effects it has. So, so let's take a listen to that. Hey, hey, guys. Okay, so just to summarise the soundscape of the Anthropocene, the paper details how the oceans have changed since the beginning of the Industrial Era. Um, the oceans have got a lot louder um, because of humans. So everything uh, we've put in the sea, whether it be boats, mining, seismic testing... Uh, even things like planes that go over the sea is increasing the sound levels in the ocean. So the problem that kind of um, maintains now is not that we don't know that it, that the anthropogenic noise is affecting these animals, but more so that there isn't hasn't been kind of um, a ma- big synthesis of all of these studies. Um, so the paper kind of points out the gaps in the knowledge where they lie and where they can be filled. That was my part in the paper. I did a meta-analysis that Harry Harding led. And, yeah, it was it basically was a, a big bias on marine mammals, followed by fish, and then we barely know anything about invertebrates, um, birds and reptiles and how they are affected by sound. But from what we do know, then all of these studies showed that there was a significant effect and a negative effect of anthropogenic noise on these animals. And also at the end, it makes some recommendations about moving forward and actually how policy can change and how the oceans can be made quieter and more peaceful for animals to just to just be. Because, I mean, it was once thought that the deep sea would be kind of a respite away from this sound, but now we know that the sound travels so far, even the sound of rain can reach the bottom of the sea. So um, a boat will be definitely reaching deep sea fish. So paper explored options like um, bubble curtains that go around deep sea mining and um, like pile driving um, to mitigate the effects of that low frequency sound. And it actually creates kind of mask and and really cool technology as well, like retrofitting uh, new propellers onto boats that cuts down the decibels um, up quite a bit, and also building new ships out of lighter hulls and so on, so they reduce their sound. And of course, creating shipping lanes, which is what policy does already. Well, I mean, thank you very much, Michelle, for sending yeah, us you. a little voice note. That was uh, appreciated so much. Thank you so much. And also, just really interesting because mm. they go into some really interesting stuff. Bubble curtains. Never heard of before. Sounds wonderful. But apparently you can put them up around wind farms, produce the noises. They absorb some of that sound in the little airy bubbles. Perfect. Perfect. Lovely. Because, I mean, (laughs) we we are going to continue developing offshore wind, aren't we? So that's, you know, solutions to try and make that better are always always welcome. Oh, actually, talking of offshore wind, um, I also heard about um, work that was done. So off the coast of Dorset, they were going to be doing some drilling. And I think I think it might even have been good old Steve Simpson that told me this. He and his team were able to advise Natural England on the best time of year for them to do this construction work 
because it's a it's a the habitat the site that they were looking at was um, a breeding habitat for sea bream and it, sea bream will kind of basically create a little nest and the males will guard the nest until the juveniles are big enough but if you stress them out during this particular period these couple of months they don't guard the nest very well and sometimes they'll abandon the nest so then you could end up with kind of um, a, a pretty poor impact on population moving forward so they were able to then work with natural england and say okay construction can only happen during these months and you definitely have to avoid this period so that we can still continue to um, do things as humans because we're never going to stop doing stuff but to be able to try and keep you know wildlife and nature in the heart of those decisions was pretty cool yeah so that's a nice example of how this can inform policy because one of the things that this uh, synthesis this review paper talks about is that at the moment, a lot, a lot of it, a lot of the reg- well, regulation is, is all voluntary, but it's quite nice to see some companies are doing it themselves. So this, the, the review, again, the review paper mentions that uh, Maersk, the shipping company, I can't I don't know how to pronounce it, M-A-E-R. Mm, the, the one shipping company yeah, you see well, everywhere. The, yeah, the, like if you ever see a shipping container, it's always them. Yeah. So, so they did a voluntary retrofit of loads of their uh, shipping container they? ships. Super which is a technical term. And just by updating their propellers, they changed frequency of the sound levels and they improved their fuel f- fuel efficiency as well. So it was a win-win for everyone. Oh, nice. Things like solutions like that really do exist. It just, they need to be more enforced, which is one of the points this paper makes. It's carrot and stick, isn't it? Yeah. And, you need uh, the stick. Uh, th- th- there was another paper I read really recently. Again, it's, it's marine-based, but so it's like seismic surveys are quite a source of Mm. powerful anthropogenic noise so it's like very loud noises that you use to find gas and oil reserves under the seabed because you pump this sound down and then how long it takes to come back to you will tell you whether there's cavities in the rock and that will inform you whether there's gas for example Mm. i found a paper which came out really recently and rather than using the traditional sounds of seismic surveys they used whale songs from um fin whales Wow. And it ha- apparently it was just good. Amazing. So Is that going to really than... confuse whales? May- uh, oh, maybe. But I feel like it's a lot less that, No, oh, sorry. Problematic. Yeah, definitely still but no, sounds that, that better. Is, that's a fair point. But, oh, cool. Oh, fascinating. Yeah, I know. So there's, there's solutions out there. Okay, well, listen, before we wrap up, we've got another listener corner. I love this section. Me too. Keep, keep writing in, guys. They're really interesting. So um, this week, Veronica asked us, if the record snowfall and the cold winter in Europe that we had this winter was due to lower carbon emissions because of our COVID lockdowns, which yeah. is a very interesting question. And she was asking this because she pointed out that it's a much more dramatic cold snap than we've maybe had in, in, in Eastern Central Europe for a while. So, And again, that's a pretty fair question to ask and it's really interesting. So my thoughts are, I'm not a climate scientist, however... My my thoughts are that no, it's not due to mm. COVID and lockdowns, but I can see why you would think that. So it, this comes into a really uh, common thing that climate scientists say, which is that there's a difference between weather and climate. So mm. even over the course of months or maybe a year, you can still have dramatic changes in temperature and weather, which aren't which maybe buck the trend of the overall. Climate. I think a lot of there's still the feeling that climate change is just global warming, and it's not necessarily is it part of climate change. 
these greater extreme weather events, of which this could well be one of them, a cold snap yeah. and a cold storm, which is brought on by climate change. But it, the problem with this particular scenario is it kind of leads into a lot of narratives that often climate deniers will use, saying, oh, look, we've had heaps of snow this winter, therefore climate change isn't happening and global warming isn't happening. But the problem is you cannot make really direct links that quickly and that's such such like, such yeah. quick time around. You can't, like climate doesn't react like month like on the monthly does it these these changes that we're experiencing the you know the shifting of our weather patterns the shifting of our climate are happening over a long period of time still quick enough for us to panic about guys i'm not oh yeah i'm not oh, saying don't absolutely. worry but like if we've had a dip in carbon emissions now regionally that's not really going to have a very big impact for a long time because there's still a lot of yeah carbon um and greenhouse gases in the atmosphere that are still causing climate change i think i think you know what's quite nice is that two of us um said exactly the same thing when we had a chat about it didn't we, we yeah like, yeah it would be nice if it happened that quickly and we just and I mean, turned off climate emissions talked um, about the effect of uh, covid lockdowns before i my instinct is that we haven't cut enough emissions in a single year to to warrant that much of a change because we we still do have traffic and um shipping and flights for example mm. yeah yeah despite the drops that were happened early in the pandemic like global emissions of carbon dioxide have picked up again in the second half of the year we're we're yeah. heading back towards where we were to be honest that's a really interesting question though thank you really really appreciated having that question and yeah, so we, we, we'll follow up with with more research just to make sure that our um, well, the problem is there isn't any research yet instincts. on it. Exactly, yeah. That, so, so that's why I, we're like, going with our gut. Yeah, <laughs> we I, did. I, I, I might try and chase up a climate scientist or someone who's yeah. maybe got, got a few more letters after the name who can uh, <laughs> talk about that with more authority. Yeah, but we, we've much. always said, haven't we, as well, that when we get far enough away from COVID, we want to do a proper deep dive onto the impact that it had on the environment. That's definitely going to be one of the more interesting uh, yes. facets that we need to track down. So we will revisit that for sure. Mm. Yeah, so thanks very much. So um, keep them coming, guys. Actually, yeah. I actually really like Listener Corner. It's one of my favourites. It's really nice. It's, it's nice to know it's not a complete echo chamber. No, <laughs> there are a few. And um, if I may shout out one listener who hopefully will oh, enjoy on, this. Um, hello, Jenny. Thank you very much this week for saying that you've listened to so many of our podcasts that you feel like we're pals. Ah, oh, we are pals. We are pals. We, we are love pals, that. Jenny. That's, <laughs> we love you, Jenny. Like that's exactly what we wanted, isn't it? When we started the, uh, this series, or the whole the whole podcast yeah. was just to be really like chatty and friendly, and to be people that you could just go down the pub with and talk about the planet. If you so want to buy a pint, that's great. That's yeah. That's I mean that's Lloyd's angle. He's just fishing <laughs> for free drinks when we're all uh, able to to hang out again. But but I'm here looking for friends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So thanks, thanks very much, Jenny. Okay, well, we'll end it there, I suppose. Uh, yeah. Thank you for joining us for another stunningly efficient and hard-hitting <laughs> episode of For What It's Earth podcast. You can, of course, join us in the list of the corner anytime you like, or just let us know how much you love us and how many pints you're going to buy me when lockdown's over. <laughs> um, we've got Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, email, all the usual um, e-gizmos. Yeah, and just search for Ford It's Earth podcast and you should hopefully yeah. find us. Yeah, because we're, we're big enough. And please, please do, if you haven't already, leave us a review. Five stars would be fantastic, you know. It would be lovely. On, on be your lovely. chosen platform because that really does help us move up rankings and helps um, other people find us as well. And other than that, we should just say all the views that we've expressed 
herein. I think that's a legal term, herein. Sure. Uh, are, are, are our own. I was literally just on the edge of saying, wow, you've got so professional at our outro. Uh, yeah, yeah, and then is, you, uh, your face did some kind of strange contortion. I can feel the cogs in my brain gumming up, <laughs> so it's probably a good time to end. So, it is. Uh, it excellent. Is. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. Thank you very much, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.